Well, thank you so much, uh, Pastor Bush, for allowing us to be a part of this Tent Revival meeting. We've been looking forward to this for quite a while. I want to say thank you, Grace Baptist Church, for having a Tent Revival, amen, in July, in July. I love it. I love it. You need a, the only thing better than a Tent Revival in July is in January. <laughs> if you'll come to it in January, we'll have one there. Well, I'll tell you, I, I want to say I reciprocate what your, your preacher said. I love Brother Bush, uh, and I, I wish he and I could spend so much more time together because time goes by quickly when we are together. Uh, we, we, we don't run out of things to talk about. We don't run out of people to talk about either. I think that's awful fun. Uh, but, we, but I didn't say it was our people. We love our people. There are plenty of other people out in the world we can talk about, and, but we, I certainly love Brother Bush. I, I'm so excited what God is doing here. Kearneysville, West Virginia, at the Grace Baptist Church. Souls being saved, buses being run, people being baptized, young people getting the right frame of reference of what a church is supposed to be. This is the way a church is supposed to be, isn't it? Praise the Lord. I want to say thank you to my folks from Frederick Baptist Church. Certainly love you folks. Thank you for coming out and, uh, and joining us for this tent revival. I love you folks dearly. And I'm so proud to be your pastor, and I'm honored that you're here tonight, and we're just going to have a great time. Thank you, son, for a powerful message, for a wonderful truth. Thank you for pouring your heart out, and, and uh, just with a blessing, and what what a great encouragement here tonight. I'm going to have to put on my glasses. Yeah, uh, with my last eye doctor appointment uh, after my test was done, I guess I'm 2020, but there's she, she uh, gave me a, a, a long name of why i got to wear glasses. And I said, that sounds awful serious. What does that mean? She said, well, it's it's a nice way of saying you're getting old. Amen. Your eyes are just getting old. All right, I'm going to give you a couple little jokes here to get started on this. Uh, we're, in, we're in a patriot mood, and, and let me see if, how, how smart my how smart everybody is tonight. What would you get if you crossed George Washington with cattle feed? If you crossed George Washington with cattle feed, you'd get the fodder of our country. How about, how about if you crossed a patriot with a curly-haired dog, what would you get? How about a Yankee poodle? A Yankee poodle. They got poodle everything. Why did the duck say bang? You know why? Because he was a fire quacker. Why doesn't fire get to enjoy a day off on the 4th of July? Because fire works. Why were, why were the first Americans like ants? You know why? They lived in colonies. Come on, folks. Why did Paul Revere ride his horse from Boston to Lexington? Because the horse was too heavy to carry. Okay, I'm almost done. Why, why did a patriot put on, what did a patriot put on his dry skin? Revolution. You're a tough crowd. What did what did one flag say to the other flag? Nothing. They just waved at each other. Fourth of July, of course, is a time to thank a veteran and those currently serving in our armed forces, right? And uh, I'm thinking of a sign that was posted in the Army recruiting office. It said, marry a veteran, girls. He can cook, make beds, sew, and is already used to taking orders. Amen. That, that will work. A little seven-year-old boy named Alex was staring at a large plaque in the church foyer. The plaque was covered with names and small American flags. 
As Alex looked at it, his pastor walked and said, Good morning, Alex. And Alex said, Pastor, what is this? Well, it is a memorial to all the young men and women who died in service. Soberly, they stood together staring at the plaque. And in a tender voice, Alex asked, Which service, Pastor? The morning service or the evening service? I don't think he quite understood. All right, Second Kings chapter number 20. Second Kings chapter 20 in our Bibles. Now, brother, you know you're going to use some of those. Like, I, didn't, I didn't ask him to tell, come here to tell jokes. I asked him to come here to preach. Amen. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Second Kings chapter 20, verse 19. One verse tonight we're going to look at and jump into the message. This will be a patriotic type of message by all means and talking to us uh, as, as believers in our nation. Uh, how important it is for us to uh, be aware of what's going on around us, but to have a right perspective and, and have the right frame of mind that uh, just because we're, we're Christians and believers doesn't mean that we have to be pacifists. And just because we're Christians and believers doesn't mean we can't have strong opinions. And just because we're Christians and believers doesn't mean we can't express those opinions. Now, we understand there's a right way to do everything, right? There's a right way to give the gospel. There's a right way to have a marriage. There's a right way to raise our children. There's a right way, right, way to, to, uh, to uh, address truth. Uh, but it's so important for us as Christians. And I made a statement uh, yesterday morning behind my pulpit that uh, in the message that I preached that America needs to find her backbone again. America needs to find her backbone again. You kind of see where this message is going, can't you? In Second uh, Kings chapter 20, verse 19, if you read this with me, let's all read it together just so that you're participating. Verse number 19, let's read it together. Then said Hezekiah unto Isaiah, Good is the word of the Lord, which thou hast spoken and said, Is it not good if peace and truth be in my days? Now, God had just, through Isaiah, announced to Hezekiah, because of a sin that he committed, that he was going to bring judgment upon Israel. He's going to bring judgment upon his sons and his grandchildren and future descendants. Uh, but, but he would spare Hezekiah. Hezekiah would not go through those judgments. Hezekiah would not go through the tragedies that his sons would go through and their wives would go through and their children would go through and future generations would go through. But as long as Hezekiah was alive, there would be peace in Jerusalem. And you would have thought that Hezekiah would have, would have hit the ground and prayed again. Just like he prayed to God, right? When he found out he was going to die, that God would spare his life and let him live longer. You'd have thought that he would have done even more so knowing that, uh, that because of his sin, it was going to cost his children. Because of his sin... It was going to cost his grandchildren. But instead of Hezekiah begging God for mercy and begging God for forgiveness and interceding for the next generation, here we find Hezekiah sadly saying almost with, with, uh, with uh, a relief, it is good so long as there's peace in my days. I want to bring a message with this thought and title in mind. There cannot be peace in my day if there cannot be peace in my day if. Father, please, I pray you bless tonight in this message. I pray, Father, you would stir us. My, my prayer is that we be stirred. Not discouraged, but stirred. We thank you for uh, what we, we heard tonight, that you are, our, you are our God. You are our Savior. Father, you are our Lord. You are our goodness. And if you are for us, who can be against us? 
and the cause is greater than our flag, or this co our cause is greater uh, than uh, than our than our uh, loyal to our country, though we are. Our cause is greater because it represents you. And if any people in this nation have have should have the ability uh, to uh, to live and say what needs to be said, it's your people. I pray you bless tonight, in Jesus' name, Amen. Since the days of Nimrod and the Tower of Babel. The world that we live in has been preaching unity and has been preaching peace. The great problem with this has been that the ones that push for this the hardest want unity and peace, but they want it their way, which is always in direct opposition to God's way. They want unification under their leadership and their direction. Now, they promise peace if the masses will submit and cooperate. Uh, we've, we've heard that from people like Lenin and Stalin and Hitler. We go into Bible, we see that under Nebuchadnezzar and Pharaoh uh, in, in our early stages of colonial America and what led to the War of Independence, the King of England. You see, if everybody in the United States would have just submitted the way that the King of England wanted to, they could have had peace in their day. You know, during the tribulation, the Antichrist, he will achieve the highest level of world unity and world peace that the nations of the world have ever seen. But, but I say tonight, this unity and world peace will come at a very great price. The nations of the world will have to surrender their sovereignty. The citizens of the world will have to surrender their personal freedoms. And the religions of the world will have to surrender their dogmas and convictions. If they do so, they can have peace. And I say tonight, there cannot be peace in my day if, and I'm going to make some points in that in just a little bit. You see, the world will not and cannot have true global peace and unity until the Prince of Peace himself sets up his earthly kingdom in Jerusalem immediately following the seven-year tribulation during the 1,000-year millennial reign. We will then have peace on the earth. See, God never commands his children to compromise truth for peaceful conditions and greater unity. Let me say that again. God never commands his children to compromise truth for peaceful conditions and greater unity. God's children, we are to be peaceful people in our methods. We are to be peaceful pe people in our demeanor, our behavior, and in our words, while at the same time standing firm and holding strong to our doctrines and holding strong to our convictions without any wavering whatsoever. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 17 through 19, we're reminded of this, recompense to no man evil for evil, proof, uh, proof, provide things honest in the sight of all men. And if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. And we believe that. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place to under wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And certainly that is who we are. But that doesn't mean that we just stand by and watch everything happen and say nothing and do nothing and try nothing. In our quest to live peaceably, we are not being asked by God to disobey trust in the, the truth in the process, ignoring Bible principles. We surrender our individual freedoms and rights. Choose not to exercise our privileges as equal citizens in the lands in which we live. And that we shouldn't hold government, God's not asking us that we should not hold government officials and government leaders accountable for their actions and their decisions. If you remember the Apostle Paul, there were several times as a Roman citizen, he stood up for his rights. Now, if you look at 2 Kings, if you're there, look at verse number 12, if you would, please. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 12, verse, let's begin, in 2 Kings chapter 19, rather, or 20, rather, in verse 12. At that time... 
we're going to just call this guy Ben, okay? I don't, that's a tough name. The son of Baladin, king of Babylon, sent letters. I wish he just called him Junior. That would have made it easier. And a present unto Hezekiah. Now, this is the Babylonians. And he, for he'd heard that Hezekiah had been sick. Now, the Babylonians at this time are not the powerful Babylonians they would later become. But they were, they were, they were working their way there. And Hezekiah hearkened unto them and showed them all the house of his precious things, the silver and the gold and the spices and the precious ointment and all the house of his armor and all that was found in his treasures. There was nothing in his house nor in all his dominion that Hezekiah showed, showed them not. I mean, basically opening up the world to his home, opening up the world. Think about how many of, of God's people we're allowing the, the world's crowd and we're showing them into our children's bedrooms and we're showing them uh, into our living rooms and we're showing them uh, in, just, there's nothing off limits. The world is just coming in and invading our homes the same way the world was invading the, 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 the uh, sacred things of God. And then let's look at verse 15. And he said, what have, I, what have they, uh, as Isaiah confronts him now, uh, God sends Isaiah to confront Hezekiah because of what he had done. And he said, what have they seen in thine house? And Hezekiah answered, all the things that are in mine house have they seen? There is nothing among my treasures that I have not showed them. And Isaiah said unto Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day shall be carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then said Hezekiah unto Isaiah, Good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. And he said, Is it not good? If peace and truth be in my days. I mean, he basically is, he's, as long as I can have all the stuff I want in my day, I can live in the kind of house that I want that in my day and drive the kind of car I can in my day and have retirement when I retire and have the things that, that, that I want to do and have my toys and have my fun. I know 20 years down the road that may not exist, but you know what? I've got it today. And I know maybe even 15 years down the road uh, they may not exist. And you know, maybe my kids are going to have it a lot harder and maybe my grandchildren are going to have it a lot harder. But you know what? They'll need to fight that battle then. And they'll need to stand up for what's true then. But you know what? It's not that bad right now. And everything's okay right now. So we'll let them worry about that when that time comes. But isn't it good uh, that we can go to Walmart without any problems today? And isn't it good uh, that we can uh, do all the things we're doing today without any problems? The Bible uh, goes on to say uh, in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 32, verse 25, uh, talking about this instant with Hezekiah. But Hezekiah, therefore, but Hezekiah rendered not again according to the benefit done unto him. John, uh, Brother John Mark talked about that we're spoiled. That he, that he, he, because he, he, uh, he did not, uh, he, he got lifted up with pride at all the things that God had done for him, and he, and he was not, he lost his courage, and he got soft. I mean, Hezekiah was a great king for a while there. He fought some great battles. If you know your Bible, you know when Hezekiah took the throne, uh, the, the, the southern kingdom of Judah was not a good place to live. Uh, it was full of idolatry, and it was full of paganism. 
uh, it was full of Baal worshipers. And Hezekiah came in, and I mean, he ran off all the Baal prophets of Baal, and he burned all the groves and the, the idolatry. And, and I mean, he literally uh, stood up, and and there was a there was a uh, a revolution for God uh, during the early days of Hezekiah, and he fought great wars, and he paid a great price, and he sacrificed a lot. Uh, and I mean, he did a great work for God, and he became one of the greatest kings that Israel ever left, uh, ever ever had. Uh, but then he began to get prosperous, and then he began to have it a lot easier. There were not the same battles that he was fighting before. There were no longer the prophets of Baal that he had before, and, and he got a little bit older. Now Hezekiah was not an old man when he when he found out he was going to die. He was only thirty nine. You got to think about this. Most of the kings in the Bible were pretty young. We think of them as like sixteen, seven year old men. They weren't. They were, they were younger men. They started young. But the Bible says, For his heart was lifted up, and there was wrath upon him, and upon Judah and Jerusalem. How can you and I, who have been blessed so much, so many benefits, and receive so much, we're not just talking materialistically. We, we know some stuff. We, we know what revival is. We've seen some things. We've experienced some things. I was so proud of 2020. You know, it's been, when we when that all that COVID craziness was going on. And and uh, we had my good friend, Dr. Hamlin, coming in. who will be here next week again, uh, coming in. And, and we were thinking about, we want to have a big crowd. And we want to encourage people to come out. And there's some people still kind of afraid to go inside, uh, go everywhere else. But, you know, church is where you get COVID. You understand that? You not going to get anywhere else, but you're going to get it at church. You know, people saran ran and saran wrapping themselves to come to church. So we rented a big tent, and and it was I mean it was in the middle of July like this, and I mean it was hot uh, temperatures in the earth in the, in the low 90s, mid 90s, and by the end of the week it was in, it hit 100 degrees. We're under this tent, and it was packed. People the first night Sunday morning packed, Sunday night packed, and the thing just kept growing. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, and I was so so excited what God was doing because there were young people that really had never seen something like that. And I'll be honest with you, there were a lot of older people that probably never seen something like that. God was stirring and, and revival was happening. And, I mean, decisions were being made. And that crowd kept swelling and swelling and swelling. We had moms uh, that wanted to be there just to be there uh, that made makeshift. Now, we're talking mid-90s. Uh, we're, we're putting a makeshift nursery tents outside and having big fans blow on them. Just, and I don't know that they were really hearing what was being said, but they wanted to be around what God was doing. And they could have been they could have been inside if they wanted to. We'd have opened up the inside for them, but they didn't want to go inside. They wanted to be outside. They wanted to be what God was doing. We had chairs that were uh, even on the outside of the tent where it was so packed and, and, and God was moving in such a powerful way. And I mean, every single night, the altars were full and people were using the altar well before the preacher was even done. I mean, the Holy Spirit of God had just fallen down upon this place. And then come Wednesday or Tuesday night, but Wednesday was going to be our last day. And my man came to me, the deacons of the church, said, Pastor, you know, is there a possibility that Dr. Hamlin would be willing to stay a little longer? Is it a possibility we could rent this tent out a little bit longer? Is it a possibility we keep this thing going? We feel like, and I mean, the men were crying. And they said, we feel like this is just getting started. And we're going to have to wrap it up. I'm telling you, folks, it was getting hotter during the week. By the time we reached Tuesday night, it was already in the mid-90s. And it was hot. 
and, uh, and, and muggy and all of that. But the God was really moving. And I said, I can talk to him and see, and we'll pray about it and see what we can do. I'm going to keep coming close to this edge, and that way I can keep your attention to see, will he fall off? Will he not fall off? Will he fall off? Will he not fall off? I've got my methods of keeping everybody's attention. And so what happened is I talked to Dr. Hamlin about the possibility. And he said, Brother, see, you're not going to believe this. He said, I never have cancellations, but it just so happened going into this week that a church I was supposed to go to from here canceled. And he said, I have Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday available if you want. So will you stay? And I mean, he only brought enough clothes through Wednesday. And I mean, poor Dr. Hamlin at the end of every service, probably like you were talking about yesterday. I mean, the guy was, if you needed a shower, I mean, I wouldn't go under get a sweaty shower. You know what I mean? That's kind of a, but you could have, there's plenty of water there. I think he lost 60 pounds during that revival. And one of the things we mentioned, when we had to rent a tent, there was going to be a big cost there and all the other equipment. We needed to raise about $9,000. And here's what I, one of my, what I told the man, I said, here's what we need to do. When you men come forward at the end of invitation, in, at the end of invitation tomorrow night, which would have been Wednesday, and address the congregation. And if the folks of this church will support this, I believe God wants us to extend. But I said we need to raise about $9,000. We raised in that service well over $9,000. Extended that meeting, and we went all the way through Sunday night. Now, I was so thankful that the young people in that church now they, now they know something. They've seen something. They've heard me talk about and They've heard preachers like Brother Bush talk about things. And they've heard other preachers talk about things about days where a revival and days uh, of great sacrifice and days uh, where people were willing to do this and do that and see God move. See, we know some things. We know better. But I'm telling you, the next generation, they don't know what we know. And they haven't seen what we see. And they haven't experienced what we experience. And who's going to teach them? Who's going to show them? Who's going to lead the way? Are we willing to just kind of pass this thing off as it is? Are we willing to just kind of leave it as it is? Are we willing to just kind of coast our way out? I mean, as long is there peace in our days? We can't see this thing turning into Marxism next year. We don't think, right? Uh, coming closer than we realize. There needs to be something inside of all of us tonight that looks around us and sees the world around us and what we know about what God can do and what God has done and what this nation really represents. It says, there cannot be peace in my day here. And I'm going to say tonight, number one, there cannot be peace in my day if God's truth is censored. There cannot be peace in my day if God's truth is censored. I cannot just sit back and do nothing while God's truth is being censored. I can't just sit comfortable in my day if God's truth is being censored. I can't just watch on the sidelines, everything go to hell in a handbag well, if, and, and say, but you know what? I can pay my bills. You know what? Uh, I, my house is paid off. You know what? Uh, I've got retirement. You know what? Uh, I've already fought some battles. I already got some battles coming. You know what? It's good if there's peace in my day. Secular man is doing everything within his power to eliminate God's word from our society. Look at what has been happening in our government schools. Has this censorship been positive or negative, I ask you? Has the censorship of God's word in the early 60s when it was uh, voted down by the Supreme Court out of our schools, has that been a good thing or a bad thing? It's been a bad thing. The same concerning the entertainment industry, the news media. Has this been positive or negative? See, the Christian worldview is being censored from every platform that today's woke culture can control. 
You might have heard about this or read about this, but just recently in Seattle, Washington, the city, the city police there arrested a street preacher on charges of being a risk to public safety for reading his Bible aloud at a public park near an LGBT pride event. Here we got these drag queens and his gay pride event, which is lewd and, and, and obnoxious and vulgar and wicked and nasty. And yet here is a man of God just reading his Bible and they arrest him. They arrest him. The man's name is Matthew Meineke. He identifies himself as a Seattle preacher on Twitter. This just happened. This was not 20 years ago. This was within the last 10 days. I believe within the last 10 days. He calls himself the street preacher on Twitter. He was surrounded by a reported 10, 10 Seattle police officers. 10. As he was reading his Bible and was subsequently arrested and fingerprinted at a police station before being released. Far-left extremists then, later on, because he went back out, they began to rip up his Bible, and they actually assaulted the man. And they were not pursued by the police. One officer was heard saying this, and I quote, So at this point, talking to this man reading his Bible, So at this point, we can no longer stand by the risk that you pose talking to this man reading his Bible. The risk that you pose for public safety by remaining here can be mitigated if you will leave. Just go away. Quit being a Christian in public. Quit standing for truth in public. You're the problem. See, you're the problem. If you will just stop standing for God, if you just stop standing for truth, if you just stop standing for what you believe, then there are no problems. You need to stop being who you are. And here's what the police officer said. It's your last chance. There is a continual effort to censor the Bible and its teachings in our homes, in our schools, and confine it to the four walls of a church. There are some countries already that have made preaching certain Bible truths and principles hate crimes. Eternal damnation for those not saved in some places is a hate crime. One man plus one woman for one lifetime, you preach that in some places, that's considered a hate crime. Sanctity of life for the un, for the born and the unborn, if you preach on that in some places around the world already, that's a hate crime. Only two genders among humans and animals, male and female, if you say that today in a lot of places in our own country, in our, their workplaces right now, if you, if you don't use the right pronoun, you can lose your job and you can even be arrested. Censoring the Bible is highly supported by those who are constantly looking to create higher moralities that are superior to biblical moralities, like climate change and diversity and inclusiveness. And see, we got to say something's got to go where we say there cannot be peace in my day if God's truth is being censored. I think what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. So what does long suffering mean? It means long tempered. He said, what does long temper mean? It's the opposite of short tempered. Okay, you get that? So yes, we it ought to take a lot. We we ought to be long suffering. We ought to be 
patient. Uh, that's who we are. But but at the same time, we're going to preach the truth and doctrine. For the time will come, we were told it, weren't we? The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure affliction. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. Don't dilute it. Don't water it down. Don't weaken it. Hey, we've got a moral obligation, a spiritual obligation to hand down to the next generation every bit as strong of what we got handed down to us. I got handed down some good stuff. When I got into the ministry, ministry at 19 years old, I almost, it almost happened. It kind of reminds me of the guy that was preaching, Behold, I come. He's preaching on the rapture, the second coming of Christ. And I mean, he was yelling at out loud, Behold, I come. And, and he was getting closer to the edge of the platform. Behold, I come. And boy, he kept getting closer to the edge of the platform. And he said it again, Behold, I come. And then he ends up falling into the first row on top of a family. Well, the little boy looked at his mom and said, Well, he did warn us four times. <laughs> so, Behold, I come. I lost my thought. Hey, I've been handed down, Brother Bush, we've been handed down some good stuff. Brother Williamson, we've been handed down some good stuff. There are others in here, you know, you've been handed down some good stuff. We, we have an obligation to make full proof. Hey, some of you here, you know you know what I'm talking about. You've been around long enough. You've seen what God can do. You know what truth is. You know what this country's supposed to be. We, we have to make full proof of our ministries and, and give to our children and give to our grandchildren, at least do what we can do to give them not a watered-down version and not a diluted version and not a weakened version. It sickens my soul uh, when 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 uh, uh, parents raise their children to do right and love right, uh, and and then sometimes it breaks our heart if they go a different direction. And now they're in a grandparent stage, and, and yes, and I'm talking parent, grandparents now that have, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay right here uh, that uh, that have done right and no right. And and uh, there was a there was a situation we had a family many years ago. A man was a pastor of a church, and he retired and moved into our area. And he was a Bible preaching pastor. They weren't in our church very long. Uh, they, they were looking at, I think they actually joined for a little bit, and uh, but he was a former pastor of a church for many years, Bible preacher, King James, soul in traditional music, all of it. And so he and his son lived in the same community in Frederick, but went to a contemporary church, a rock and roll church, one of those kind of churches. No no King James Bible, no soul in just a big party in Jesus' name. But he wasn't raised that way. Now the, the, the husband was heartbroken over that, and he said, you know, I love my son, and, 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 and we, we are close, and he wants me to join a church over there, but I've been preaching this book for too long, and I've been standing for too long, and I told him there's no way at this stage of my life, after all these years, that I'm going to now change and go to a rock and roll church, that I'm going to now change and go to a church that doesn't preach the King James Bible, that I'm going to now change. He said, I, I told my son, I, I'm not going to follow you while I still have the ability to follow God. Now there's more to this story, Sam. He passed away. And his widow came just for a couple services after her husband died. And the son kept working her, working her, and working her. I remember getting a phone call. Pastor C, I just want to let you know I love you. I love the church. What you all believe is what we believe, what we've done all those years. But I just kind of thought, you know what, I'm getting old, I'm lonely. And my son goat is on the kind of church that we know is right, but they do some good things there. 
I just kind of figured I'd rather be in church with my son and my grandkids than sit in a church all by myself. How can there be peace in my day if God's truth is being censored? Let me say number two, there cannot be peace in my day if our freedom is being measured, if our freedoms are being measured. See, all Bible-believing Christians ought to be concerned with the socialism, or should I say Marxism, that has completely taken over one of the two major political parties in our country. Democracy empowers and encourages individual choices. Socialism limits and dictates choices. Democracy and capitalism encourage competition. Socialism eliminates competition. Socialism will do whatever it has to do to gain power, keep power, and exercise its power. Socialism believes it must monopolize the press, must monopolize the educational systems, must monopolize social media platforms and the entertainment industry in order to prevent quote, common, unenlightened, and ignorant citizens, unquote, their words from supporting archaic beliefs, asking too many foundational questions like what does the Constitution actually say, and straying away from party dogmas and procedures. Did you know, you may not know this, that right now, that in Washington, D.C., at the National Archives Museum, warning labels have been placed above the Declaration of Independence, the U.S. This fact, U.S. Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and every other founding document that they are displaying, warning their readers of potentially harmful content. See what we don't know? How can every piece of my day? We don't want them to read about all the great Bill of Rights. Of course, anything that teaches true freedom and liberty is dangerous, right? To people that want to strip us of our rights and control our thinking. So this is going on right underneath our own noses. And how can this be happening? How can this be happening in our country where so many of us know better? Because long, long their peace in my day. Censorship has been one of socialism's favorite tools to control the opinions of the masses. Censorship is one of the most un-American practices one can be guilty of. It smacks the First Amendment, freedom of speech, right in the face. And see what happens, ladies and gentlemen, once censorship is allowed for political purposes, where does it end? Who is next? What else can be used to justify censorship? And how safe are our churches? And how safe are our homes? I'm telling you, how can there be peace in my day if our freedoms are being measured? Also, let me say this tonight. We are not bad Christians because we publicly expose anti-biblical platforms of elected officials, including our president and his vice president and former U.S. presidents and their wives. Amen. U.S. Senators and Congressmen, state governors and all other elected officials, we are not, we are not being bad Christians when we publicly expose people that have been elected to do the will of the people that are serving agendas that work against our country. Yes, we will respect their positions as much as possible, as much as lies in us, we will live peaceably. But this doesn't mean we have to give any public endorsements of any kind. The censorship being practiced today is justified as protecting public safety and health by keeping false information from circulating among the masses that might influence their thoughts and actions in a way that is detrimental to our democracy. Now this, of course, is based upon the Marxist model of democracy. 
which is about as trustworthy as the Fox's model of a chicken, chicken sanctuary. I don't trust it. If a fox opens up a chicken sanctuary, I don't trust it. And when you got Marxists and socialists telling us they're doing something in the name of democracy, ladies and gentlemen, unless you went to sleep last night and your brain rolled out your ear, don't believe it. Don't believe it. When our government and tech giants are allowed to cherry pick who gets censored, mark it down, individual freedoms are being measured out. Ask North Koreans how this works out. Ask Cubans how this works out. Ask Venezuelans how this works out. By the way, that's why Florida, one of the reasons why Florida voted so strongly for President Trump in the last presidential election, because Florida's made up, especially Miami and Southern Florida, made up a lot of Cubans. And they know what socialism looks like and Marxism looks like. And they were saying, we see that right now in the other party and the other platform. We don't want to be on. We, we left our homes to come to this country because of that. And we're not going to just sit by and let it happen here. Ask those that live behind the Iron Curtain what this was like. By the way, which is wiser? To fight the good fight of faith for our freedoms to continue while we yet have them? Or to fight for our freedoms, or should I say, leave that to another generation when they've been all taken away? This is why there cannot be peace in my day if our freedoms are being measured. Let me say lastly, still with me tonight? There cannot be peace in my day if God's church is being liable. Now the word liable meaning misrepresented. There cannot be, when God's church is being misrepresented or liable, there cannot be, there just cannot be peace in my day. Christians and church leaders all across our country are misrepresenting God's church when they speak wrongly and unscripturally on behalf of the church of the living God. I'm talking about preachers so-called that are that are promoting watered-down doctrines, uh, preachers so-called that are promoting worldly standards, preachers so-called that are promoting carnal worship services. And I don't care how good of a writer they are. I, I, I've mentioned this lady by name, Beth Moore. Uh, there are a lot of people that like Beth Moore books and a lot of people like Beth Moore devotionals. You know that woman is, is now leaning over on the side of supporting uh, homosexuality? Andy Stanley, the son of Charles Stanley, he has apologized on behalf of all Christianity to the homosexuals that he's trying to draw into his church. Franklin Graham. There was a time that the Southern Baptist Convention wanted to take a stand against the government schools because of all that was being promoted and was challenging the convention to try to uh, encourage people to get your kids out of the government schools until they clean it up and put some pressure on the government schools to change the curriculum and have school boards that really represent the general public. And if we could, if we'll take a united stand, uh, they'll have to listen to us because one thing about liberals, they love their money. And so what happened is there was a, it was a strong movement and it was going towards a direction of taking a, a convention position against the government schools of our country and encouraging their, their, their churches and their members to pull them out of the school system. And then Franklin Graham, Franklin Graham, who uh, is more known for who his dad is than anything else, and I know he's done some good things and said some good things, and, and I understand all that, but, but we're still, there's still no excuse for what he did. He got up and took advantage of his platform and his name and got up there and scolded, scolded all the Southern Baptist pastors and leaders that would think about encouraging the parents to pull their kids out of government school, that we should leave them there as missionaries uh, in, in that place. And he would say, we don't need less of God's 
missionaries in these schools. We need more of God's missionaries in these schools. And he went on to preach a sermon against that. But I want to say something. You mean to tell me a first grader is ready to be a missionary in our current government school system? You mean to tell me a, a second grader is ready to be a missionary? And, and they'll flunk if they stand for what's right. And did you know the Southern Bat that swayed the Southern Baptist Convention? And they voted down that motion. How can there be peace in my day when God's church is being libeled? Isaiah chapter 30 reminds me of this passage. That this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, would say to the seers, or will say the preachers, see not, and to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. Get you out of the way. Turn aside out of the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. I've made up my mind several years ago, many years ago actually, but I, I doubled down. When I think about all the young generation coming up of young preachers and young husbands and wives and young families, and I've watched as a 40-year-old man at the time there weren't as many men in their in their mid to late 60s and early 70s that were still standing strong. A lot of those men that we used to really look at as our heroes began to compromise, drop their standards. And I was talking to a Dr. Vineyard, actually. Many of you might know who Dr. Vineyard is or heard about him. He was a pastor many years ago, was known for working, having the largest bus ministry under Dr. Hiles many years ago and built the bus ministry when Dr. Jerry Falwell was an independent fundamental Baptist like we are. He was his bus director, worked for Fort Porter. And he had built a great church down in Oklahoma City. I asked him, now I'm 40, he's in his 70s. I said, when you were my age, did you have men that are your age now that you could call that was going strong, believe strong, and would give you a kick in the seat of the pants if you strayed from the truth. He said, there were a bunch. I said, who were the great hitters? And he said, sir, listen. He could eat over 30. Easily over 30. Easily. I said, okay, Dr. Vineyard. I said, now I'm going to ask you a question. Who in your age bracket did I call? That are doing I think he needs So, Dr. Vineyard, I think we've been working. My generation of preachers, we've been, we, we were, we surrendered because of, I remember a pastor school back in 1990, first time I've ever been in a pastor school. I didn't grow up in church. My son alluded to that. I didn't grow up in church. I got into this thing when I was, was like 19. And I remember being at pastor school and then my, I just never heard any preaching like that. I mean, I was, everything, everything was wrong that I was doing. And I mean, but I mean, the Holy Spirit of God was blessing in a powerful way. And I mean, God was moving, and my heart was under deep conviction, and, and I was being challenged. My, but I mean, it was uh, cry aloud and spare not. I mean, it was coming down the pike. And I was hiding and dodging everywhere I could go because it was hitting me full throttle. And I remember that, that, that Thursday night there was a call uh, to surrender, uh, not just to the ministry, not just to be a preacher, but to be a King James Bible, old-fashioned, independent, fundamental, premillennial, soul-winning, local church, bus running, you name it, all these things, a uh, window-rattling, shingle-shattling, uh, Baptist preacher. 
And so as a 19-year-old, when I and it took me a while during that invitation as they were singing, give me the old-time religion. Uh, Dr. Hiles actually, and he had about a voice like we do when it comes to singing, and he was leading the invitation. Give me that old-time religion. And, uh, and, and I was sitting there about eight rows back, which you know at pastor school are prime seats. Uh, an assistant pastor that I'd gone with uh, had spent the night and, and literally found a way in there and got us those seats, which I think is against First Baptist law, which can get you in prison for 50 years, I think, if you did that. And about 20 stands of the old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. And that's how they sing it. They sing it with that little... You know, I think about Dr. House really brought contemporary movement into our. Because he was a, give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. It's good enough for me. And he kept singing that. And he would do it with that rhythm. It was good. He would name somebody Dr. Rice. It was good for Dr. Rice. It was good for Dr. Rice. It's good enough for me. It was good for Lester Roloff. It was good for Lester Roloff. It was good for Lester Roloff. It's good enough for me. It was good for my mama. That's what you say. It was good for my mama. It was good for my mama. It's good enough for me. And I mean, and I, and it wasn't. I didn't want to surrender to preach. I don't want to surrender to be an independent, fundamental, premillennial, King James only. Not that I didn't believe that was true. I didn't feel I could. How can anybody? This man's in his seventies. Preach that way and be that strong. I don't have that kind of courage. I don't have that kind of rearing. I don't have that kind of background. I don't know that I have that kind of courage. What if I go up there and I surrender to that and I can't stand up to my family and I can't stand up to my buddies and I and I can't make it? So I held on. He kept going. There's more of you out there. Some of you need to come. We're going to keep singing. Keep singing. Give me that old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. It's good enough for me. Come on. There's more of you. Come on. There's more of you. Finally, I just broke. Probably 20, 18, 20 stands for that. Literally. I'm not saying figuratively. You were you all were there. Literally. Then I went home. I didn't know anything about church. I didn't know anything about Baptist churches. I didn't know anything, I didn't know about the King James Bible. I, I was from the world. I was saved. And on that night, third week of March, nineteen ninety. I didn't just surrender to be a preacher. I surrendered to be an old-fashioned, old-time, King James Bible, pre-millennial, soul-winning, sin-hating, window-rattling, shingle-shattling, no, not a pink lemonade sipping, fundamental, separated, only breathe ten times a minute, Baptist preacher! When I turned 40, and I asked Dr. Bigger, I began, and I mean, I just, I got my office. I said, no, we're not going to have a privilege of having fathers in the faith 
there will be ample things. But we all look to it. We have to be bad. I made up my mind. I'm going to get loud. And I'm going to get on. And I'm going to get mean. And I'm going to stand strong. Because somebody has to, somebody has to, somebody has to. We can't just sit back and say, as long as there's peace in my day. How can I do that when the church of God is being libeled? We need to keep believing right, preaching right, living right, and serving life right. We need to do so with courage, compassion, and conviction. We do not need to be apologetical about standing strong and true for the faith that has been faithfully handed down to us. The Bible does say the disciple is not above his master, right? The world hate you. Know that it hated me before it hated you. So how can the same world that could not stand our Savior get along so well with us? Where are today's Christian patriots? Where are the true heroes of today that will be honored by the true believers of tomorrow if the Lord carries his return? It is not our responsibility to dilute the teachings of God's holy word in order to make them more acceptable and agreeable to a world that is more interested in its sin here now than its soul after this life is over. Was there peace in Jesus' day? No. Was there peace in Peter's day? No. John's day? No. Paul's day? No. The deacon Stephen's day? No. Was there peace in the first century early church? No. Second century? No. Third century? No. Sixth century? No. Twelfth century? No. Fifteenth century? No. Even in colonial America. In, in, the, in the 17th and 18th century, if you were in Massachusetts or in Virginia and you did not have a license to preach, you were thrown in prison and jail. There hasn't even been peace in our country in our day. So what gives us the entitlement? To not stand strong and think that we are going to have peace. So there cannot be a peace of mind as long as God's truth is censored, freedoms are being measured, God's church. God's people said, the sand on our feet, heads about our eyes are closed. Folks, the hope for America is not gonna it's not in DC, it's not in Annapolis, it's not in Charleston, it's not in it's not in a, uh, in, in our elected official, it's not in our economy. We're in. We're it. We've always been it. We were hopeless. But that's not a bad thing. It's always the way it's been. God works through his children. There's still hope. We've got to make we've got to give the next generation something to hope for. There's hope. There is hope. As long as there are people like us who are willing to continue to stand strong and be faithful and stand for the faith, we give the next generation exhibit A's and examples and courage that they can do it too. And God's grace will be sufficient for them. Why don't we just make our way tonight around this old-fashioned altar? I know it's in a temper revival, but maybe we just make our way around tonight and just recommit ourselves and rededicate ourselves to, uh, to what this is all about and make a determination. God, by your grace, not just sit by and say, as long as there's peace of mind, we'll stand true.